we'll uh, we'll pray and close and be. No, I'm just joking with you. I tell you what, you know, I, honestly, when it comes to stuff like that, I don't. I really, I don't think about it very often. I, I, um, you know, when you have, you, maybe I know some of you have been through this. When you've got young kids, your sports watching and all that kind of stuff just sort of goes out the window. You just, it just doesn't happen very often. I, you know, I catch up on it maybe the next day or something. But anyway. Uh, you know, I, I think about stuff like that, and, and um, you know, I, I, I just think back over my life. I've been a fan for most of my life, been a sports fan, as, you, as many of you know, and, and um, I grew up uh, loving the Cincinnati Reds. That was my baseball team, and still is, and they're hopeless, and yet I, I'm right there with them, you know, and, and, and so anyway... Uh, and then I, I began as a, as a young, very young kid pulling for the Louisville Cardinals. That was uh, where I grew up, and and my uncle was a one of them anyway. Was a huge U of L fan. Now the other, my dad's other brother, uh, is a huge UK fan. So uh, you picture that. Not only that, but my dad and his dad, both uh, Red Sox fans. He, my dad's two brothers are huge Yankee fans, and so they had some battles in their home, you know. But I. I came from a from a fan sort of family. That's what we did together. We watched a game or we played a game together. We were fans of sports, and and so I've always I've always been a fan. And and there are some teams that I pull for more than others. You know, I, I have a couple of baseball teams that I like and follow, but the Reds are still the team that I pull for more than any. And and I certainly uh, you know have a few other. Uh, maybe football teams and things like that. I like the University of Louisville football team, but I pull for the basketball team more than their football team. Maybe it's because the basketball team has more of a chance sometimes. But, but uh, you know, anyway, I, I, but I've been a fan. Maybe you have too. And, 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 and I realize that, that some of you, uh, probably if you, even if you're not a fan, you've been around people who are. And maybe they confuse you. Maybe you just think, why on earth do you get so serious about football? about basketball, about baseball, you know, and, and, and I, you know, I've wondered the same thing sometime, but it's just, it's just part of the deal. And most of us, though, probably at some point in our lives had a particular team or an individual that we, that we were a fan of, and it may, have, may not be on a national scale, maybe more local, may have been because your kids or grandkids or somebody you knew was playing sports, so you went out and you were a fan for them. But even if you have never been a fan of anything, you have seen those people who you might refer to just as super fans. I mean, they are just, the, the word fanatical obviously shortened is fan, you know. And so, I mean, they're just nuts. They're crazy about their team. And, and I realize that nobody is that unbalanced here in this room. You know, that we are just so fanatical about our teams. Nobody in here pulls for somebody that hard that it just affects everything you do. But hypothetically speaking, if we did have anybody here that was a super fan of a team, I mean, those people are all in. I mean, they are absolutely sold out. They've got all the gear. Uh, but, but just wearing the gear isn't enough. It goes, it goes deeper than that. You cut them, they bleed a different color. I mean, there's something different in red coming out. You know, especially around here, I realize. Mostly it's going to be blue and white, you know. And, and, and I realize, you know, it, you bleed a different color. Uh, there's, there's no halfway attitude with you. Uh, your two favorite teams, if you're a Kentucky fan, your two favorite teams are Kentucky and whoever's playing Louisville. That's just the way it is. You know, that's your two favorite teams. Now, my uncle who trained me and brainwashed me, I suppose, at an early age to be a Louisville fan, uh, told me the story once that years ago when the Soviet Union was still in existence and they uh, sent their national team to travel to play the University of Kentucky, 
My uncle is a huge U of L fan, and his two favorite teams, and he he makes no bones about it, are U of L and whoever's playing Kentucky. That's just the way he is. Maybe you know people like that, and it's the opposite. Okay. But he told me, and I got a big kick out of it, he said they were getting ready to play that Soviet national team, and he said I had to turn the television off, he said, because I couldn't pull for Kentucky, and I couldn't bring myself to pull for the Soviets. He said, I didn't know what to do. And, uh, and so you know, maybe you know people like that. I mean, he's just, boy, he is sold out fanatical about, about Louisville and about the New York Yankees. But, you know, that's it. You, you, there's no halfway attitude with you. you. You think anybody who says, well, you know, I like both teams, University of Louisville, University of Kentucky, but, you know, I kind of pull for one. You don't tolerate that if you're a super fan. I mean, you just, you just, one or the other. You make a choice. Which, which one's it going to be? And, and in any sport, that may be the way that you do it. Uh, you know, you, you wait until the team's schedule comes out, and then you decide what you're doing for the year. And that's just the way that it is. You're going you know, to see all their games. You know, when, they, when, the, when the schedule's released at the beginning of the year, then you can start making plans because you know what the real deal is going to be. You know what your schedule's supposed to be. When, when you talk about the team, it's we. It's not they. It's we. I mean, you're, you, it, you're part of it. And if they'd give you the chance, you'd know exactly what to do if you got on the court or on the field or whatever. It's just the way that it is. Now, you, you have not only read the media guide, paid money for it, but you actually care about what's in it. You actually care about who the high school coach was for all the guys listed in Kentucky's media guide. You know what, they, what their favorite food is, you know, when they were born. You know all the stuff about them. That's a super fan. Now, you actually care about those details. You listen to the coaches' show. Not only that, but you call in, you give an advice. I mean, you, you know, you, you, you're just waiting. You know, I, I call every time. I can't get through, but I'm calling next time. I'm going to tell him. I'm going to tell him how he ought to run his team. You're going to give him a piece of your that's, – that's a super fan. And, and, and if you are a super University of Kentucky fan, then at any moment's notice, you can recall without hesitation where you were and how you felt in 1992, the moment that Christian Leitner got the ball, turned around, and you'll see it on the screen, and fired up the most unbelievable shot that has ever been attempted in college basketball, do we do we have it? I don't want to break any hearts today, but I think I think we got it. Or maybe not. Oh, ooh, the Lord's intervening. <laughs> maybe I maybe I was wrong. I thought all along. Oh, I, I thought all along that that God was a was a U of L fan, but but maybe maybe I'm wrong. Here, try that. Maybe I'm wrong. Goodness. Well, you know, if that's the case, and if God's really not a U of L fan, we're going to go to at least noon today because the game doesn't matter at 11. So y'all better start praying, change God's mind just a little bit. But, you know, some people, they, they will remember, boy, you know, it goes back to, you know, words like Pearl Harbor. You remember maybe if you were around during that time, you remember what, what was going on. The Kennedy assassination. You remember I mean, exactly where you were and what you were doing. But for others, it's Christian Leitner. We, I, God came through, obviously. But, I mean, you know, isn't it, I mean, that's one moment. And, and the next picture, obviously, sort of gives you an idea. You wonder, like I did, why are they all just standing around? What are they doing? I mean, you can go back there. Now, some of you are having a good day until I put those pictures up. I apologize. Some of you, uh, you know, now, you, now you're ready to get up and go, and you think, well, why did we hire this guy in the first place? But if you're a super fan, I mean, it's not Pearl Harbor. It's not the Kennedy assassination. It's Christian Leitner that just, you know, and so, man, it, it, isn't it something when you're a fan like that? All right, guys, you can get that off there before I get fired. Um, 
you, I mean, you can go back to that moment in an instant. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it, you, you even thought about naming one of your children after one of the unforgettables on Kentucky's team. I mean, it was going to be Darren, or it was going to be John, or it was going to be Richie, you know, or somebody like that, Sean or Jamal or somebody. It was going to be one of those guys. I mean, that's what you were going to do. And, and, and you vote for Richie Farmer for agricultural secretary regardless of his party affiliation. It doesn't make any difference because he played for Kentucky. He's my man. He's in. I don't care if he's a Republican, Democrat, or whatever he is. He's going to get my vote. And, you know, for some of you, you just tolerate your day job all day long, restless inside, because the game's happening that night. You just, let me get done with what i got to do. And, and a few weeks ago, you simply tolerated my sermon because Kentucky was playing at 11 o'clock, and I understand that. But, you know, when you're a real fan, there's really nothing holding you back. Now, you've seen those people. Maybe you are that person. There's nothing holding you back. I mean, your, your ego doesn't matter. Now, you'll paint yourself all up. You'll wear all this crazy stuff. You'll talk about it till you're blue in the face because your ego doesn't matter. You're really not worried about what people think. You just love your team. You, you just love your team. And, I, you know, I don't have personally any particular problem with that. I think it's great when people follow a team and love them. And, and you know, regardless of what team you pull for, if you, you know, you, boy, it, it, can, it, it can affect you and make you happy and really make you sad and all that stuff. But, you know, you just love your team. But the truth is that that coach that coach of your favorite team doesn't even know you exist. You realize that? I mean, a coach of my favorite team doesn't know I exist. He has no clue, nor does he care. The coach of your favorite team has no idea that, that you're sitting in church this morning. He doesn't care. Uh, he wants your loyalty, no doubt, but he isn't going to personally do anything to prove his loyalty to you. I mean, he's not whatever coach that is. I mean, you'll make all kinds of sacrifices for his team. Schedule your entire week around a game. Pay big money to see it. Get the extra package on your satellite dish just so you can see the games that aren't on regular television. You'll do all those sacrifices, but he's not going to do anything for you in return. I mean, that coach is not going to come to your house and say, you know what, thank you. I'm going to pay for that package just so you can have it. There's no way that that coach would do that. But I want you to think about this morning. What if, what if you could give your devotion to someone, to someone that not only wants your loyalty, but loved you first, loved you before that, and actually gives you a position to play on his team, enables you to play that position regardless of your past failures, regardless of your inexperience, regardless of your lack of talent, regardless of anything you don't have, he offers and enables you to play a position on that team, regardless of your future potential or anything. That He wants you on his team. He wants to give you a part to play. I, I, maybe Paul, when he wrote Galatians, had some of those super fans in mind. I want you to check it out with me in Galatians chapter 2. We're going to look at just one particular verse today that's set in the middle of this incredible context of Paul writing to the Galatians. And last week we started on Sunday morning sort of introducing this. If you weren't able to be here, uh, then, then I'll, I'll kind of refresh you in just a minute. But Paul uh, sets up Galatians uh, to uh, really to talk about the freedom that he has in Jesus Christ. And he gets to verse 20 of chapter 2. And if you follow along with me, you'll see it on the screen or maybe read it along in your Bible. It says... Paul writing here, And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me 
and gave himself for me. Paul here is, is really sort of explaining more about this life of freedom that he enjoys in Jesus Christ. And, and, and he refer, kind of if you think about it, his whole book uh, sort of refers back to what we looked at last week, taking a survey of, of the book, that, that when, you, uh, when you experience in Jesus uh, freedom from, uh, from the penalty of sin, that you're no longer held guilty for your sin. Uh, not only that, but you're no longer held captive by that sin. You're free from the power of it. That it, It's not what controls you anymore. Now, do you still sin from time to time? Certainly, but that's not what controls you. Not only that, but we looked at last week that you're free from jumping through hoops to get to God. This book was written to combat the idea that in order to become a Christian during this day, not only did you have to place your faith in Jesus, but you also had to follow all the Jewish laws at the same time. And we looked at last week how a lot of times that's the way that we look at Christianity. Well, yeah, I know it's based on my faith, and yeah, I need to believe in Jesus, but there's some other stuff that I've really got to do before all that can happen. I mean, you know, if I'm going to become a Christian, well, don't I have to dress and talk and act and, and think a certain way and all this kind of stuff? And Paul's just shooting holes in all that in Galatians. He says, look, you, know, you let God change how you think and how you dress and how you talk and how you act and all that stuff. You come to Him first just in faith. And that's what Paul talks about. You don't have to jump through all the hoops to get to God. And so last week we saw that you're free from the penalty of sin, free from the power of sin, uh, free from jumping through hoops to get to God, and also that that then frees you up to truly live, to truly have some hope in your life that things might actually get better, that somebody can fix your situation. That's the great thing about God is that He is not created. He's outside of creation. So maybe He can intervene in creation and fix the problems that we have. That gives us some hope that somebody outside our situation can help. We, are, we, we can truly live free from all those, those, those past sins, all that stuff. Not only that, but we can truly love. The Bible in, in Galatians talks about how when you, when, you are, when, you, when you exercise your freedom, Paul says, do it by serving one another in love. You ever done stuff just out of mere obligation? I mean, I, I know I have, and I hate to admit this, but there are times when you just do things and you just, you know what, I really don't care, but I know I've got to do this. I know, you know, yeah, I need to show up at that, or I need to do this. What if you had a heart that had been totally changed, and you're free to truly love people? I mean, it, your heart is, is really geared toward loving the people the way you've always wanted to, unconditionally, with nothing expected in return. That's what Paul says when you live in Jesus Christ, he frees you up to do it. And then, and then we looked at last week, finally, was that you are free to truly please God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 that without faith it's impossible to please God. So Paul harps on over and over and over again the fact that it, it is all out of faith. He talks about Abraham a lot in the book of Galatians, if you've read through it. And most people would think that during the Jewish times that Abraham was, was justified because he followed the laws. But before the law was even given to the Israelites, Abraham trusted God, the Bible says, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so it's always been based on faith. And so Paul is, is talking about that. He's giving us an idea of what it means to be free in Christ. And this verse here today is sort of like his thesis statement. I mean, if he sums up what he really believes and what he wants us to get in one sentence, it's Galatians 2.20. It's sort of his mantra. It's what he lives his life by. It, it is, he's saying, here's how to be free. This is his freedom verse. This maybe is what he would have wanted to be on his headstone. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That, I mean, that's what Paul was all about. 
We read that, and it sounds really great, and we think, well, yeah, I don't live anymore. It's Christ living in me, and I live now by faith in the Son of God. And great, He gave His life for me and all that. But what does that mean? What is Paul really saying? We're going to look just briefly this morning at what Paul is saying and sort of the implications of that and how it can play out in our lives. If you want to, you can follow along. There's not a ton, but you can follow along on the back of the bulletin. You'll see these things on the screen later on when we get to them. But Paul is saying here, overall, this is the whole point of the message. If you, if, if you wanted the point up front, here you go. You can leave after this. The whole point of the message is this. That life without chains, Paul is saying, life without chains, to be free, to be unencumbered, to live the way you're supposed to, life without chains is possible when you invite Jesus to live in and through you. When you invite Jesus to live in and through you, Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, and now I live by faith in the Son of God. He lives in me, and He lives through me. That is what life without chains, to be totally free, is all about. And so that's really what Paul is saying. We sum it up. Life without chains is possible when you invite Jesus to live in and through you. And so the next question then for me is I begin to read the Bible, and maybe you have these same questions. Well, you know, okay, well, that's, that's great, but how? I mean, how does that happen? What do I do now? Okay, what, is it, what does it mean? How do I really let Jesus live in and through me? I mean, I know He lives in me if I've given my life to Him and trusted Him for salvation, but, you know, that's sort of a churchy kind of term. I mean, we talk about that here, and, we, and it sounds good, but what does that really mean? How does it happen to invite Jesus to live in and through you? And, and I think Galatians 2.20 sort of gives us the, the overview of all of this. The first thing in how does that happen is for us to identify completely with Him. To identify completely with Him. Think about those fans. The, those super fans. They are identified completely with their teams. Now you walk into their house and you can tell who they pull for. There's no, there's no doubt about it. You, 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 you watch what they wear. You watch how they act on game day. You watch where they go. They buy tickets for their team and so on. There's no doubt who they are completely identified with. Paul says that I, that I have been crucified with Christ. He says at the end of verse 19, and I no longer live. Crucified with Him, those terms there, Paul is talking about that, that he has died to what his old nature desired. All the stuff that he used to really get hung up on. I mean, the things that he pursued, the sins that he committed, all the stuff that just sort of was his life before. He says, I've died to all that. Because in a sense, he's saying, when Jesus died, I died too. When, when he was crucified, all my sin, all my desires, all the stuff that was going to hold me back went with him on the cross. And Paul says, in a very real spiritual sense, I was with him on the cross. I was there. Because when he died, he took all that stuff away from me. All of that stuff died in me. He, Paul is, is dead to the influence of the world. I don't know about you, but, but for me, this is probably one of the things that, it, that if, if this could become more of a reality in my life, to understand and to live out being crucified with Christ, to having all those old desires, all those old pursuits, all those things crucified and totally dead, I think my life would be a lot different. And I'm not just talking about old sins and habits, though that's included. But Paul was dead to the influence and the pursuits of the world. Isn't it hard as a Christian to really know how am I supposed to live 
when I walk away from church because I, I got to go to my job or I've got to make ends meet. I mean, I, I, how, do I, how do I rectify all this stuff when I know that God says, don't worry? When I know that God says, look, don't pursue all the things that, you know, the Bible says in Proverbs, don't try to get rich. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. I mean, how do you justify that with, with trying to do the best you can at your job? What if, though, if you could be crucified with Christ in such a way that instead of those things being your pursuit and always falling short of everybody else's expectation for you, if your foundation was, Lord, I'm going to pursue you, be faithful and obedient to you in every single area of my life, and live free, and all of a sudden your pursuit of work has a totally different perspective. The, the way that you view money just looks different. Are you still trying to do the best you can? Absolutely. I don't believe that being a Christian gives us any excuse whatsoever for being a slacker. I really don't. I, I don't find that anywhere in the Bible. In fact, if you look in the Bible, the people that, that Jesus was really blessing and so on were the people who were moving toward Him, trying to do something with their lives. I don't believe that God blesses us when we're just being lazy and so on. But I think when we are aggressive more toward Him and less toward the things of the world, then we're identifying completely with Him. And we say, you know what, I'm going to pursue you, and I'm going to pursue my job the way that you'd have me pursue it. I'm going to pursue my business, my family, and so on, the way that God would want me to. I'm going to identify completely with Him and be dead to the influence of the world. That way I see things through a little different lens, maybe, than I did before. Paul says in verse 20, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Now, these, these words here that he uses talking about I no longer live, sort of my life has ended and now a new one has begun. It's as if there's a new narrative on his life. If somebody were telling the story of your life, at the moment that you gave your life to Jesus, understand this, it wasn't just a new chapter starting. It wasn't just, well, I'm going to turn the page and I'll sort of go a different direction. That old book is gone. Never to be remembered again. Never to be read again. That book is gone, and a new one has started. A new biography of your life began the moment that you gave your heart to Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I don't live anymore. All the stuff that Paul was about, being a Pharisee and persecuting the church and trying to, to stomp out Christianity, he says, that, that, that's gone. That doesn't even exist anymore. Christ now lives in me. There's a new biography. The way I pass my time, what I spend my life doing, is now completely different. And, and, and Paul is highlighting the fact that everything in his life is different. He takes a new approach to every single thing. If we are to let Jesus live in and through us, be identified completely with Him, then everything in our lives, everything in our lives will be yielded to Him, and it will reflect that, our work will be approached a different way. Uh, the way that we do school, if you're a student, will be approached a different way. The, the way that you approach your family will be a different way. How you view money, relationships, everything about your day-to-day -day life will be viewed in a different light if Jesus truly is living in and through you. That's simply the way that it is. And Paul highlights the fact, I don't live anymore, but Christ lives in me. There's something different. A new book has been started in my life. How does it happen to invite Jesus to live in and through you? First, 
to identify completely Him, to be crucified with Him and understand it's not me anymore. Something else has come alive on the inside of me that has changed my perspective altogether. And then secondly, to gratefully respond to His love and His sacrifice with faith and devotion. To gratefully respond to His love and sacrifice with faith and devotion. Paul says this, The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Paul recognized the fact that Jesus made an incredible sacrifice. He recognized the fact that Jesus' love began before Paul was even born. And in spite of all of Paul's past sins and failures, and as a result, he responded gratefully. He responded with faith and devotion. It's in a sense, Paul is saying, you know, I I still live in this world. I I still have to go about my daily life. He says that the life I now live in the flesh. It just means I'm still human. Uh, Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're automatically transported into an alternate reality and you're no longer human or you're half human and half in heaven already. That's not the way that it is. Because when you wake up, Lord willing, tomorrow, you're still going to be here on earth. You're still going to have to get up and maybe go to your job or be around the people that you've seen every single day, do your normal activities, the life I now live in the flesh. We're still here. But Paul says, even though, even though I still live here, even though I still have this body, I still live in this particular world, that life that I now live is now lived and supported by something else. I I live that by faith in the Son of God. What used to support me isn't good enough anymore. Just trying to do things on my own and pull myself up by my bootstraps, and I'm going to do it. He says, no, no, no. I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Paul has a higher purpose in life than just the little things that we do every single day. In those little things, Paul now sees a higher purpose. He now sees more meaning in those little things of life because he responds to Jesus' sacrifice and His love. And he says that though I live in the world, I don't live for the world and I don't live by the world. I have a brand new meaning, a brand new purpose in life. For some of us, for some of us, this is a simple truth that we desperately need to get. Because even though you may be a Christian, even though you may be a follower of God, there are times when we still live sort of for the world and by the world standard. And again, I've said this before, I'm not saying that that if you don't live by the world standard, that somehow you should pursue, well, I need to give everything up, and I'm just going to never enjoy myself. God didn't design life to be that way. Not at all. God designed life to be full of joy, full, full of en- enjoyment of just, you know what, I'm, I'm satisfied and peaceful in my existence with God. And, and He didn't design every single person to live in poverty. So don't think that, well, I just need to sell all my stuff and, 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 and experience true poverty. Then I'll be really spiritual. That's not what I'm talking about. Because regardless of whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, God still wants you to experience life the way that He has designed it. And and He says, if you you will simply identify with me, respond to me, then you don't have to then operate living for the world. Everybody else's standard for you doesn't matter now. It, It doesn't matter. What people think of you at your job, how they respond to you, you're free from that. It does not matter. It does not control you. 
I would venture to say that you know somebody, I'm sure there's nobody in here, but you know somebody who's a people pleaser. Don't elbow anybody. Don't don't you know, don't don't say, hey, you know, I know that's you. You just all you're just caught up in is just pleasing everybody, making sure everybody's okay. You ever been there? I have. I, I hate that about myself. It drives me nuts. Absolutely drives me nuts to be a people pleaser. I am learning more and more and more to really live on the truth of Scripture. That says, you know what? The one and primary person I need to please is Jesus Christ. And if that means that other people are pleased with me, then so be it. But if not, and I will realize that even Jesus Christ didn't please everybody. They crucified Him because they didn't like what He was saying. And so maybe you'd say today, you know what? I, I, I want for Jesus to live in and through me in such a way that I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm dead to that people-pleasing. That controls me. It just drives me nuts. It's made me feel insane. What's going on? And Paul says, I don't live by that system anymore. I live by the system that Jesus has laid down, and that is responding to Him and Him alone through faith and devotion because of His great love for us. And Paul is governed by the fact of, not that the world says He should be something, but by the fact that Jesus gave Himself, loved us, gave Himself for us. And out of that gratitude for life, for salvation, for freedom, I then allow Jesus to do whatever He wants in and through me. Do you see the relationship and how it works? It's not, I'm going to go to God and say, here's all my great stuff, God. Now don't you love me? Don't you accept me now? God, don't you, don't you see how good I'm being? I've stopped saying this. I've stopped doing this. God, I've given to this and so on. And God says, you got it backwards. Paul said, he loved me and gave himself for me. This was well before Paul knew Jesus Christ, when all that happened. The Bible says that before you were even born, God knew you. And he loved you, the Bible says in Jeremiah, with an everlasting love. And his love not only is in word, but in deed, that he demonstrated his love toward us. In that while we were still in the midst of our sin, our past sin, our present sin, our future sin, in spite of all of that, and largely because of all of that, God loved us to the point that He sent Jesus Himself to die on the cross. That's the kind of love. There is no earning that kind of love. There is no operating by a system, take all your good stuff, and maybe then God will be pleased with you. Maybe you've been trying to do that forever. Maybe God now will be happy with me. The only way to please God is to gratefully respond to His love and sacrifice through simple faith and devotion to Him. That's all He's looking for. And, and through that, as you begin to respond to Him over and over in faith and devotion, you'll be the person God wants you to be. And so out of that gratitude, I allow Him to do whatever He wants in and through me. And in return, I, I gain more of Him. And He is more than enough. Think about this as we close. The coach of your favorite team doesn't even know you. Doesn't know that you exist. And probably doesn't care. He has no place for you on his team. You can call in all you want to the call-in show and tell the coach the plays he ought to run. And you know why he does that call-in show? Because it's in his contract. And he has to. I mean, the truth be told, he's not listening to anything the fans have to say. 
Now, for some of you, that's a shock. For some of you, that's going to anger you even more. And you're calling in tomorrow night whenever the coaches show, you know, next, this week. But the truth is, he does it because he has to. He does it because it's in his contract. He's not, he's not listening. He has no spot for you on his team. But your creator and savior, on the other hand, he loved you before you were born, and in spite of all your past, your present, and your future sin. He loved you before you were born, and in spite of all your past, present, and future sin. And He wants you to be free and to experience life His way. If you don't believe me, let's read the words of Jesus that you'll see on the screen behind me from Matthew chapter 11. Jesus Himself is talking. If you need real proof, maybe it's in red letters in your version of the Bible. Here's what Jesus had to say. He said, Come to Me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you, take up My yoke and learn from Me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you don't believe that Jesus Himself wanted freedom for you, wanted you to live a life that was enjoyable and full of inner peace that you can't even explain, if you don't believe that, then you believe nothing of the Bible because it's plain and clear that the Bible says, according to Jesus Christ, that He says, you know what, come to Me. Don't go to the world system anymore. Don't try to just follow all the rules because all the rules are going to do is tell you how awful you are and how sinful you are. And Jesus says, you know what? Once you discover that, that you've got no hope anywhere else but in me, come to me and I'll give you rest. I'll make you the person. I'll enable you to be the person that God wants you to be. I'll give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Does that mean that you never have a problem? No. Does that mean that, that being a Christian is the easiest thing in the world? If you've tried to live it, no, it doesn't mean that at all. What does it mean that you get Him? That you experience His peace and His presence in your life? That, that you are free from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, from jumping through all those hoops to get to God. You're free to truly live, to truly love, to truly please God. And that's what Jesus wants for us. When you know God's game plan, You've understood it from the Scripture. You've read His media guide, so to speak. You've talked with Him. You've called Him, and He actually cares to listen. And He doesn't do it just because He has to, but because He loves you. When you identify with Him completely, when you live by faith and devotion, then, then you can be sure you know His will for your life. Then you can be sure, young people, that you're dating and pursuing the right people. Then you can be sure that you're handling money the right way. Then you can be sure that you're making wise decisions. You can be sure that you're ready to be used by God however He sees fit. And you can be sure that you'll experience life without chains. To be totally free, the person God wants you to be. Now that type of experience is not just for the fans that jump on the bandwagon at tournament time. It's not just for those people who will say, you know, I, I'm just going to show up at church. I mean, isn't that good enough? I mean, that's what God wants me to do. He says in the Bible. Or, or just occasionally flipping through the Bible to read something. Or, or, or just going to God when things get tough. That type of freedom is not for bandwagon sort of Christians. 
When I say that, I have nobody in particular in mind. I just know from my own life, it's easy to jump on and off the bandwagon when I need God or when I don't need God, so to speak. You know, as fans, we we really don't tolerate those bandwagoners, do we? If you're a true fan, and and you see all the people jumping on the bandwagon, you you just, you know, you, you smirk at them just a little bit. You just think, yeah, where were you back when times were tough? You know, Brent, you'll see this. When the Cubs... Lord willing, ever win the World Series, everybody will be a Cubs fan. But you'll know. You will know. You will know that you were a Cubs fan long before. But, but you know, when, when you see people jumping on the bandwagon, you don't really tolerate that. Why? Because we want true fans. We want to talk to somebody who's a true fan of the team. Whatever team they pull for, that's why I appreciate talking to people who are true Kentucky fans, even though I'm a true Louisville fan. At least you're a true fan. You're not on the bandwagon. You know what you're talking about a little bit. I can handle that. But we want to be around those people who are all in. And God is no different. He's no different. He's looking, the Bible says in John chapter 4, for true worshipers. People who are truly devoted to Him, truly placing their faith in Him. It's an all-out deal. We come to this. We will identify with our teams all out. So what about Jesus? Will we identify with Him all out in every aspect of our lives, refuse to compartmentalize and and reserve anything for ourselves? Will we live for Him like that? Freedom awaits. Freedom is what you will receive in return. But you can't just jump on and off the bandwagon. Regardless of your age, I, I want you for just a moment to be honest with the Lord. I realize that for some of us, we see, you know, I'm kind of past all of that. I'm not really the fan anymore that I used to be. Fine. But you still have breath in your lungs, and the same is expected of you out of the Word of God as it is for any person who may be younger than you. If you're a young person, you say, well, you know, I've got my whole life to kind of be devoted to God. You know what? The same God that wrote the Bible for the people older than you wrote it for you and expects the same out of you. This is not a pick-and-choose sort of thing. So regardless of your age, I want you to be honest with the Lord today. Does He have your complete faith and devotion? Does He have it? Is that how you live? I mean, the, the, the freedom that He wants you to experience will only come through placing your faith and devotion in Him. Now, I don't want to take for granted the fact that because we, we come each week that, that we assume that each and every person truly knows Jesus. And so I want to say this. The first step to peace and to freedom with God is to place your trust in Jesus Christ. Because He's the only one that can take away your sin. He's the only one. The Bible makes it clear that following all the rules only sets you up for failure because you can't follow all the rules. You are inept. I am inept to follow all the rules. And so being good enough is impossible because I will fail at at least something. And all the rules do is tell me how bad I am. But Jesus says, you know what? I understand how sinful you are. When you come to me, it's covered. And it's forgiven. And that new book starts. And the old book is gone. And when Jesus lives in and through you, He reminds you that all of those things, your old life is gone, covered, forgiven. And the new life and freedom that He offers are yours for the taking. And so regardless of your age this morning, be it young, old, or somewhere in between, this life of being crucified with Christ 
of letting Him live in and through you is the expectation God has to be a super fan. To be all out for Him in every aspect of your life for however long God allows you to be here. I want to be a part of a church that has young people that are absolutely super fans of Jesus Christ. I want to be a part of a church that has middle-aged people that say, you know what, I'm not going to be jaded by life and, and totally consumed by my work, but I'm going to be a super fan of Jesus Christ. I want to be a part of a church that has older people that say, you know what, I, I may be in the latter part of my years here on earth, but I will never stop being a super fan for Jesus Christ. Never stop. That's the kind of church that I believe God blesses. That's the kind of church I believe that we'll see in heaven one day. Young, old, and in between. All different races and backgrounds. And maybe, just maybe, if we were those super fans, maybe we'd get to see a little bit of heaven here on earth. Maybe here at Elm Grove. But it won't happen until we, collectively and individually, give our faith and devotion to Him and to Him alone. I hope you see today that Paul wrote that we might have freedom and how then we can go about that by identifying completely with Him, by responding to His love and sacrifice through faith and devotion. That's the life that God has for us. In return, we're free from the penalty of sin, free from the power of sin, free from jumping through hoops free to live, free to love, and free to please God. There's something exciting about that kind of life. I hope and pray that you get that, that I get that, and that together we'll live that out. The world doesn't need to see, as we mentioned last Sunday night, just a bunch of good people. The world needs to see super fans of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that's going to change the world. It's the only thing that's going to change our community and have any sort of impact where you live and work. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word and for a guy like Paul who you used to write it. God, may we take it to heart to truly identify with you, to be super fans, to read your word just like we read that media guide, to talk to you just like we call into the coaches' show. God, may we experience you in such a way that we could never experience our favorite team. God, thank you for the position that you give us. Thank you that you enable us to, to, to be the players on your team that you want us to be. God, may we in turn respond to you in faith and devotion. Just trusting you a little more each day. Leaning into you. Trusting that you'll catch us when we fall. Thank you, Lord, that you've got a great plan for each one of us and a great plan for this church. Help us by faith to take hold of that. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand with me and let's